invite you to open your Bible first to Galatians chapter 5, and then we'll go to Ephesians chapter 2, as uh, we look tonight at the fruit of the Spirit of goodness, goodness. First Galatians chapter 5. I'll begin reading verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... Oh, let me just back up. Let's start. You have your Bible there. Let's start with verse uh, 19 so we see the contrast here. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And tonight we're looking at that term of goodness. And then if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 8 through 10. Ephesians 2. Paul writes these well-known words, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's ask the Lord to bless His Word. Father, thank You that You are, by Your Holy Spirit, doing a work in our life that is good. And I pray that tonight, Lord, You would give us spiritual understanding, that we would treasure the things that You treasure, uh, see things as You see them, uh, love what you love, and, and Lord, be transformed by the power of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like you to imagine if someone uh, came up to you after church this evening, you're out in the foyer, and uh, someone came up and said the most crazy thing. He said, I'd like to build a house for you. I, um, I've got five acres out in the country. I don't know what to do with it. And um, the Lord just put you on my heart, and I'd like, I'd like to build you a home uh, for free. I was thinking something, open floor plan, maybe cathedral ceiling, lots of wood, you know, for warmth, and of course a stone fireplace for ambiance, and then there'd be nice big windows out the back to look over the, uh, the, the fields and the woods, and, and I've, drawn, I've drawn up some plans, and, and I'd like to meet with you sometime this week so we could go over it. Um, would you be available? Uh, how many of you would be, oh boy, let me check my calendar, I don't you know, I... I think you'd make yourself available, wouldn't you? I, I, I don't think you'd be saying, oh, yeah, John's, you know, John wants to get together, right? You wouldn't talk to your wife and say, he wants us to go over to his house, and he's going to show us these, you know, his plans for... No, 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 you'd be, John, uh, you, you, I can't, you will not believe what, what just happened. John said he wants to build us a house, five acres, and uh, he wants us to come in. You'd be very ecstatic about, about that meeting. Well, um, That's how we ought to feel when we read about the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason is um, that this fruit, fruit, um, they're the the 
characteristics of the house that God is building, the beautiful house that God is building out of your little mundane life. Um, the wonder of the gospel, as we said this morning, is not just that we have been saved from death and hell, but we are being saved. We are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And I know that right now we have to sort of take that by faith because, it, because that transformation is slow, but we also have to take it by faith because we, we don't really understand what the glory of Jesus means, what it is, what it looks like. If we, if, when I talk about, you know, um, cathedral ceilings and stone fireplaces, you, you see what that looks like. You have the sense. When I talk about the glory of Jesus, it's just a little vague to us. But, but we have to accept by faith, it is the most precious, beautiful, magnificent thing in all the world, and God is making your life look like that. He's, he's making you into the likeness of Jesus. We are being fashioned by the hand of God for glory. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We are His, God's, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Uh, the, the Greek word that Paul uses there for workmanship is actually, um, it's an artistic term. It's, it's the word from which we get the word poem. Uh, it's a word that refers to artistry, whether it's a, a great painting or a sculpture. Uh, uh, it's some masterpiece that reveals the skill and the glory of, of the artist. And so the, the Jewish, excuse me, the Jerusalem Bible translates this as, we are God's work of art. And that's a, that's a good translation. God is making something beautiful in our lives, and the fruit of the Spirit are the jewels, are, are the characteristics of that beauty. This is what beauty looks like in heaven or from heaven's perspective. These are the things angels look at and admire. This is what Jesus was like and what he is creating in our own life as God makes you a vessel to display his beauty and his glory. Last week, Adrian uh, led us through an excellent study of the concept of kindness, and tonight we're looking at the, the concept of goodness. Goodness. If I were to ask you tonight uh, to define this fruit, goodness, what does it mean? I think, I think most of us would struggle a little. The, the, the term is a bit vague. Uh, if you would ask the common man on the street, tell me, what, is, what does good mean? How would you define goodness? The, the most common answer would probably be something like whatever um, furthers human flourishing, right? Whatever promotes human flourishing is good. I think that'd be a pretty um, common answer. Unfortunately, our society is involved in a raging conflict over what actually does promote human flourishing or what does human flourishing look like? What, what is human flourishing? And so all the, the angry debates about abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism and capitalism, those are all matters over which people are in vehement disagreement over what is actually good. Both sides think Right? Some people are con absolutely convinced that um, allowing and even encouraging young women to kill their children is good. It's a good thing. So we're tragically seen in our culture, increasingly, we're seeing 
uh, people call good, what the Bible specifically calls evil, and th- that is not a new thing. Isaiah speaks of it in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's exactly what we have going on in our society today. And so we're going to have to start by defining terms. What do we mean? What is the spiritual fruit of goodness? Uh, the Greeks saw goodness. They have these debates what it is, and some says it is the ideal, the, 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 uh, the realm of reason and logic. Others uh, saw it as uh, just what is beautiful or, 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 or perfect, or others just whatever brings pleasantness to life. But The Bible has an intensely theological understanding of the term. When the Bible talks about goodness, it's it's talking about something that distinctively and uniquely belongs to God. God is good, and God defines the term. And if you you don't have God in your definition, then whatever you're talking about, it might be a good thing. It's just not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about goodness. When, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit as goodness, he's, he's got God in the middle of that term. It's, it's very much a term related to God. The Lord is good, and the Lord does good. And you see that throughout the Bible. The Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. The Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. God is good. He, He is the essence and definition of the term. And from him, we learn what goodness looks like. If, again, if you would ask uh, people what goodness looks like, uh, people will talk in moral terms. It looks like, you know, being a good citizen. It looks like being a good parent, a good, a good spouse, a good neighbor. Uh, it's, it's doing some things and not doing other things. things. It's, a, it's a moral concept. Well, in, in the Bible, goodness is much more an um, act, active, loving, other-oriented thing. It's not just about, I'm keeping the rules, I'm a good person. It's not self-referential. I'm being good to myself. It's, it is very much other-oriented. So when the Bible talks about the Lord's goodness, it always does so in the context of His interaction with, with sinful men. And his kindness to them. So the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The Lord is good. He is a stronghold in a day of trouble. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 86, 5. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. So God's goodness is his active engagement to bless in some way those who do not deserve it. And, and it's always mixed with the, or blended with these words like refuge and stronghold and steadfast love and mercy and forgiving. That's the goodness of God. And, and, and that is the glory of God. It, it is, it's part of his glory, right? It, 
It is a beautiful thing. It's a precious and holy thing that God is good. He's good to this broken, fallen, sinful world and, and to us. Now, in, in direct contrast to the stark, beautiful, glorious goodness of God, in the Bible, there's this great contrast between a good and holy God and, and man. It's just night, day. Polar opposites. So when Jesus is approached by a young man in Luke chapter 18, this young man, the ruler, asks him, a good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's quite a response. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It does two things. On the one hand, this, he's inviting this man to actually accept the implications of his own language. You're looking at the Son of God. But it's also a, a damning indictment of the human race. It's not just a throwaway line. No one is good except God alone. Paul says the same thing, of course, in Romans uh, chapter 3. There is no one who does good. Not, not one. No one who seeks after God. All have turned away. And Paul's not afraid to apply that verdict even to a moment himself as a, as a Christian. So he'll say in Romans chapter 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. In that, in that old man, uh, the man that I, that I am in Adam, there, there's just nothing, there's nothing good there. And, and that's the plight of all the fallen humanity, of course. In, in our flesh, our native, sinful, fallen self, there is, there's nothing good. Now, of course, <clears throat> this raises the question, what, what about people who actually do really kind, sacrificial, generous things, and, and they're, they're, they're not Christians? But, but we all know people who are they're, they're good people, we would say, right? They're, they're, they're loving parents. They're, they're caring spouses. They're, they're good workers. They, they, uh, they, they, they do good things in the community. They volunteer and, and give their time and their money. They befriend strangers. Sometimes they perform uh, amazing acts of, of sacrificial kindness and generosity. Everyone would agree that these are good people. So, so how can Jesus say no one is good except God alone? How can Paul say there was none who do good, no, not one? Well, you just got to think, again, biblically here, that neither Jesus nor Paul are denying that by the grace of God in his restraining hand, people are not as wicked as they could be. And people, God, men, men and women made in God's image, can do good, beneficial, useful things by the restraining hand of God. And so, and so you can, uh, the world can function, and we should be thankful for that. And when, whenever you notice, I remember the first time um, I was in, in, in seminary, I can't remember what happened, but suddenly I, um, I fainted. And uh, so we were at some friend's house. They called the paramedics. It was the first time I had paramedics show up. And um, 
when I came to, or, or I, was, I, was, I had come to, but I'm kind of, I'm like, you know, what's going on? Uh, they come, and they're doing their stuff, and they were just so kind. And I had no idea, right, that they're just people from the community, probably not Christian, and yet I was so thankful for them and for the, good, the goodness that was being displayed through them. We should be thankful to God for all of that. But, but you see, God's about something more. He's after something more than, than that goodness. Um, we have to just acknowledge, when, when the Bible talks about men, uh, or, or the goodness of men, it, it, it acknowledges that the, the only good that comes from men is because of the restraining hand of God, and even then, that, that goodness does not rise to the level of God-honoring goodness. It, so, just imagine this. Imagine a young man who's raised by loving parents just wickedly, rebelliously um, curses them, disowns them, and then moves far away. He wants nothing to do with them, and they've done nothing, nothing to deserve this. It just comes out of the evil of his own heart, and he uh, despises them, shames them, even maybe publicly online in his social media, and, uh, and, and, and his parents kind of follow this from a distance. They see that he's gotten married. He has a job, just got a promotion, seems to be living a good life. Are they going to be pleased with him? Well, well no, because that goodness is, is built on a, 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 a rotting foundation of animosity and anger and, and hatred towards his parents. So he, he, nothing he does is meant to honor them in any way, and, and he should honor them. It, it's what he's required. And, see, and, and, and in that sense, the, the good that people do in the world, it's, it's built on this, this rotted foundation of, of animosity towards God, rebellion against God. And so that can't possibly be the goodness that is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit goodness is, is radically different in that it has God in the middle of it. it. It's goodness that begins with a restored relationship to God. It's the young man who's come home by the power of the Holy Spirit, convicted of his sin, confessing his sin, and being restored. We talked about that this morning. That's what Jesus did for us. He's reconciled us to the Father. It, that's where the goodness begins, and then it ends with, it tends towards God's honor and his glory. And so that I want my life to tell for Jesus. I want my life to matter for God's agenda, for God's name, for God's glory. That is the desire of every genuine Christian. And, and if it's not, you, you just have some questions you need to ask yourself. Doesn't mean we're always there. Doesn't mean certainly we don't achieve it. But that's sort of true north for you when, when you ask. And I've asked this question to people. What do you want from your life? Right? When it's all done. When it's all over, what do you hope could be said about the one life you had to live? And the answer ought to be, I hope it could be said, that in some small way, this life mattered for God. By the grace and power of God, it mattered for him. That, that would be a life worth living. Well, that's the goodness that the Spirit creates. Kittle says this, he said, the New Testament view of life sees man hopelessly de delivered up to death and sin. 
and therefore to the sphere in which there's no possibility of goodness or salvation. However, with the revelation of salvation in Christ, a radically new possibility of life is introduced. That's exactly right. A radically new possibility of life is introduced. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. A genuine Christian is someone who miraculously, by the power of God, has been made new, united to Jesus Christ, reconciled to the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit, given a new heart that now desires to honor and glorify God. In Christ, a radically new possibility of life is introduced. And that is not introduced just as a possibility, but as a promise. This is what God promises to do with every one of his children, to make us new and to make us good. Not just morally good, yes that, but good in this deep, rich, biblical, God-in-the-middle-of-it way. A a goodness that, that comes to us by the Holy Spirit's work in our heart. Um, The goodness that reflects the character of God. A goodness that flows out of who we actually are in Jesus Christ and what we are becoming by the power of the Holy Spirit. What what, what is that? What would that look like? I mean, it's it's sort of up here. What's it going to look like in real life? Well, it's going to look like what the Bible calls good works. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's interesting, the term good works doesn't have a good reputation, in a sense, in Reformed circles, right? We're always told that uh, good works, you can't be saved by your good works. Good works, bad, grace, good. Well, that's true in that context, in that category. But the fact is, is that the Bible is very, very big on good works, Jesus, uh, Titus 2, verse 14, Paul says that Jesus gave himself to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. The Bible strongly encourages good works. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's that's God's command. Good works are to be zealously pursued uh, and, and done so in the context of a fallen pagan world that people see it and glorify God on the day he visits. You see, friends, good works are the beautiful, precious God-glorifying evidence of the life of Christ within you. So what will that look like in real life? Well, it'll look like basic acts of kindness and service and love to those around you, to, to right in the world where you live. It, it's interesting, in, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul's having a conversations with the leaders about uh, the deacons, who to put on the widow's list, who to put on the list of, of, of ladies that we're going to help care for financially. And Paul says, uh, she, she ought to be a person who has a reputation for good works. And then he defines what he means by that in verse, in verse, nine, uh, verse 10. If she's brought up children, that's a good work. Moms, 
um, are you, as you're bringing up children, God sees that as a, as a good work. It's right there in the Bible. As you're sacrificially, sacrificially giving yourself your time to raise these children. Uh, she's shown hospitality. She's opened her home and she's cooked meals and, and, and arranged to care for people who uh, were in need. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's been a humble servant. She's cared for the afflicted, Paul says. And so when people are in, in, in dire straits, uh, she was there to help. She's devoted herself to every good work. That's what Paul says. It's not rocket science. You don't have to go far, far away. Um, good works can happen right where you live. Every act of practical mercy and kindness and care and love for the people in your family and where you work and in your community is pleasing to the Lord. It's what the Spirit is working in us. And there, are, and there are evidences of that all around, and there ought to be. Things like adoption and fostering are, are wonderful good works for needy children. Providing for the poor in some way um, is a good work. Mentoring a, a fatherless teenager is a good work. Helping a single mother is a good work. Providing work for the underemployed, that's a good work. Caring for the elderly lady who, who lives across the street, that's a good work. Sharing your things with others, that's a good work. There's countless ways. And, and we're to be, you see, we have to kind of know what they are and then, and then intentionally say, Lord, make that your prayer in the morning. Lord, let me do something good for, for Jesus' name today. Let me do something good to bless someone else and to glorify you today. That would be a good day. And when you go, and when you go to bed at night, it'd be a good question to ask, Lord, was I able to do anything good today for the blessing of someone else and, and for the glory of your name? That defines a successful day. This is the fruit that the Spirit is working in us. And God promises to give us everything, all the grace we need to accomplish that. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you, yes, even you, may abound in every good work. Friends, God is making your little mundane West Michigan life something beautiful and good. And he is inviting you to lay hold of what he's doing, to eagerly um, ask for it, to, lay, to embrace it, to intentionally live, to bless others and for the glory of his name. Tonight we come to the Lord's table. This is the goodness of God displayed and expressed for us. This is not just a mere remembrance of His goodness to us, but this is a, a the here and now ministry of Jesus as, as Jesus invites us to His table and Jesus reminds us of who we are and what we have received and what we've been promised. And Jesus calls us to live then out of all the goodness of God displayed all the kindness and all the mercy, all the grace, all the love that's been poured out over your life, this ocean of mercy and kindness that's been poured out over you, Jesus says, receive it and now live from it. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, good works wrought in you by the grace of God, and they give glory to your God in heaven. May God grant it. Amen.
Oh, Father, I thank you that you are making us something beautiful and good. We can get so easily depressed and despair about our life and the, the slow progress we seem to be making in sanctification. And, and yet, Lord, you are doing a work. You promised to do it. And I pray that we would ask for it and look for it, uh, that we would, Lord, um, step into this transformed Christian life and we set aside everything that is selfish, self-serving, set aside pride, everything that it is an obstacle to us being vessels who display your glory by, by this goodness, this kindness and mercy and, and patience and gentleness. And Father, I pray that we could rejoice together in the good work the good works that we are enabled to do by the grace and power of God. We thank you that we can live lives that are truly pleasing to you as we walk in step with the Spirit. And so, Lord, give us that joy and bless us now as we come to the table of our good Savior and Lord Jesus. Amen.